Now, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. We are speaking with uh, Steve Overland of the band FM. He has a new solo album coming out called Overland Scandalous, and I've had a chance to hear it. And Steve, it is fantastic. Even though I have the MP3s, I'm still ordering it from Japan because I want the bonus track. <laughs> You're a good man. I'm glad you like it, Mitch. I'm yeah. glad you like it. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's great. And, uh, you know, I was just showing you before the FM synchronized album that came out earlier. It's, it's just a masterpiece. I mean, here's a band, FM, that just seems to be getting better with time, if that's possible. So before we get into the um, solo album, before we get into FM... Let me just quickly ask you about the voice, because your voice to me seems to just simply have gotten better in time. It has matured. It has more texture. It has more, maybe you're just better in control of your instrument. But but talk to me about the voice and and how do you sort of keep it into shape? Because a lot of singers, as you know, as they get older, things seem to go astray. You actually, I would say you're singing better now than ever before. What's what's the magic? <laughs> Do you know what, Mitch? That's very nice of you to say so, mate. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Mitch. I think um, voices are like any other muscle. Some people have, if you're a professional soccer player or football or whatever, and you get an injury or you, you strain it, and it never comes back to how it was. And that, unfortunately, is what has happened to some people as they get older. And I really do think, thank the Lord, I've been very lucky. I've done extensive touring through my career with various things. And um, it just seems to stay with me. So thank the Lord. I have no secrets, no magic potions, no like, you know, chants or rituals before I, I do a vocal on a record. It just seems to work. And um, it's just luck of the draw. It really is. And um, I just try and keep fit and try and stay as healthy as I can, because obviously that's important too not to abuse abuse it you know and um and i sing pretty much every day even through all of this um spooky world that we're going through at the moment i'm i've been working away on endless things so i guess there's not too many days go by when i'm not singing in the studio or doing yeah. something with my voice which makes it stronger maybe you know yeah, i guess i mean if you're going to the gym every day i, I guess your arms and, and stuff get toned so it must be the same for the voice let, let me ask you this in terms of the different projects you have done Shadow Man, Wildlife, Groundbreaker, Lone Rider, FM, Overland. Uh, how do you sort of separate the different projects and the different bands when it comes up for music? Because here you've got this new album, but FM just had a new album. How do you sort of say, well, this is the FM pile, and this is the Steve, I'm going to do whatever with pile? Um, They're all written for those specific projects. And albums, Mitch. So I'll have I'll work on an FM record, which is a different process to say an Overland record, where I, I write with one person. So I'll write with Tommy Denanda on the Overland record. He sends me endless bits of music, back and tracks, um, all of them really well produced because he's a clever guy. Um Tommy's and brilliant. The ones I want to work oh, he's an incredible guitar player and a great musician. So yeah. you know, he'll send me stuff, I'll pick We'll talk about the direction on this particular solo album. I wanted to go more back to things like early Doobie Brothers kind of grooves and things like that, and a bit more funk kind of heavy funk groove on yeah. some of the songs. It's got some China Grove going on about. easily. Yeah, that kind of thing, you know, because I love that and I grew up with it. And um, 
as with Lone Rider, that's a, that's hankering back to all of my older influences from the 70s, your free and bad company kind of thing, you know. So um, that's how I do that. FM's a different thing. We kind of all come up with a song idea from scratch, so I'm writing the music. I'll come up with the hooks, give it to the band. They then put the – they play it. It then sounds like FM, and that's how FM works. So two different ways of writing, and – if I'm writing the Lone Rider record, I'll talk to Steve Morris, who's my. They're all different co-writers, which means we all they're written differently. Steve is the same. He sends me. I'll say, let's do an album like this, Steve. I really want to do this and record it all live and make it, not put too much stuff on it. He gets it. He comes up with some ideas, and then me and him write it. Um, just two people with FM. All of the band kind of have a say in the songs. You know, they do. So that's the difference. Really. So that's the difference. So let me ask you this thing, just real quick on FM. You, of course, put out the new album, and you announce all these tour dates, and you're going to have a great summer, and, of course, COVID mm. hits, and, well, the hell with that, it's done. What does that mean for the yeah. band? Do you sort of just say, okay, we're on pause, and when we can go back to playing, we'll take the synchronized tour out, or do you say, well, listen, why don't we just start working on the next new album? How, how do you sort of see, how do you fill in the time? Man, this is this has been the weirdest thing that's ever happened. I mean, for forty years, I've done endless touring and gigs. I've not done one gig this year, Rich. So it's been the weirdest year for me ever. And I, do you know what? I didn't think I missed it because I've been so busy recording stuff and working on it. And I was in a garage. My son owns a garage in England, right? I went in to get a tire on my car, and as I was in the reception room waiting. This festival came on the TV with a band playing live. I didn't even notice the band, and there was a big audience. They're all going absolutely ape, and I'm thinking, do you know what? I really do miss this, you know, because it's been the longest time without doing a gig for me ever, and it's like since I was since I started, so it's way back in the olden days. So, you know, what we're gonna do? I mean, <laughs> the crazy thing is the album's done really well. FM is record to the point where I, I said to the management, we better not tour anymore. Because the album does better when we don't tour, it does when we when we do, you know. So, you know, we um we're gonna go out. With, everything's been pushed back to next year, Mitch. So far, maybe spring we'll start the British tour, then go to Europe, and then come out and do stuff in America. Whatever we're gonna do, but um, that's where we're at. But none of us really know, do we? No, that's the problem. It's been pushed back, but we don't know yet. You know? We don't know, and and. Um, it's almost amazing because I see these dates, you know, they get sent to me in press releases. Oh, that, you know, June next year. And you go, why are you announcing this? Because you might just end up canceling it again. So how about, we, you know, let's see. We, yeah. we're, but yeah, exactly. and by the way, in terms I mean, of, had, yeah, I was just going to say in terms of playing gigs and stuff, uh, now you understand why bands have these sort of false farewell tours. They go, you know, the Scorpions and Kiss, they go, we're not playing anymore. And then they sit at home and go, yeah. Damn, I miss playing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. I know. I get it now. You know, and it's, um, you know, because I'm, I'm always a bit like, well, they said they were going to split. You know, why are they back out on the road again? You know, and it's like, I don't know why. They go home, sit there and watch TV for two years and do the garden. And then they, you know what? I quite like putting those silly clothes on and walking about prancing across the stage. You know, and it's, um, it's a weird one. It's a weird one to get your head around. And it's a strange one thinking that you, by the time I do another show, I will have been about 14 months since the last one I did. So I'll be absolutely in the wings. I'll be <laughs> crapping in the wings waiting <laughs> to go on stage. Thinking, God, can I do this? You know, it's like, you You'll know. Be good but, to go. Um, 
Now, now you understand yeah, why yeah, why your really... lone rider bandmate Chris Childs and Thunder have done like three farewell tours. They they break up and they go, oh damn it, yeah, okay, let's get back out there. Um, you did mention <laughs> America, and you said that you might do America. Talk to me a little bit about that because when I hear I'm in Canada and I mentioned the band FM. Well, first of all, there was a Canadian band called FM, so I need to distinguish. Yeah. But but there was some challenges. Why do you think the band? after 40 years or 30 years, still has to introduce themselves to an American audience. Why were you not a Def Leppard or a Bon Jovi or, or one of these bands that just, you know, was it management? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I'm not placing the blame anywhere, really. It was a bit of management problems. We had everything set up to come out and do well in America. I mean, Frozen Heart... Well, it was a bit of a radio hit out there. I spent a lot of time doing TV and radio out there when we first formed. We were signed um, by Portrait. That was our first, which were basically an American label. Um, then they came out to the UK and signed us. We had everything set up. We had we were managed by Barrett Consolo, you know, John Barrett, who now manages the Eagles and all those. But we, we had massive American management, but they just could not agree. Because we were signed in England, the English epic portrait, the Americans wanted to take the band over. The British thought we were their answer to the big American dream band, you know, and it was like, so just in, in-house in arguments between the record company, everything got held up. It's, it's the old story, Mitch. It, it, it really is the old story. The whole... Uh, but, it, it, but, it actually, but it actually happens. But the, know, la the label like, politics thing is just so... It, it's... Oh, that label politics thing kills me all the time. And yeah. and uh, Gowan, Lawrence Gowan, who's now in Sticks, talks about sandboxing. Because yeah. I say to him, Lawrence, you were great in Canada. You were on MT, uh, much music all the time. Why didn't you break out? And he says, the record company thought I was a Canadian artist. They sandboxed me. They didn't want to develop me anywhere else. And you're like, but that doesn't make sense. A good song is a good song. No. You, you no. want to get, right? So were, were you sandboxed in the, no, in the sense? Yeah. Yeah, and also, I mean, things like we'd be saying, you know, we, since we reformed, this is how how about it? We're because they seem to want to keep us tour on the UK, so we went, uh, we toured the UK with everybody, Mitch, from Bon Jovi. We did the Slippery and Wet tour with Bon Jovi. We did we toured Foreigner, you name it, every band. We were the the eternal support act to all the big American bands, but we did that in the hope that they would then say, "Why don't you come out to America with us?" And some of them did. But we couldn't ever get out there. And it was like the British label kept putting us out on tour in the UK. We were having hit albums in Spain, Sweden, all these other territories that we never really knew about because they kept trudging us around the UK because they wanted to make us a big, the biggest rock band in England at the time, you know, new rock bands. So it was just a mess, mate, really, just a complete mess. And we got lost in all of this because they kept throwing money at us. I mean, and we were a bit like, okay, well, we want this lighting rig, and we want that. And we were spending a fortune. It was like just because we were, they were kept saying, right, you're going to do a tour with Gary Moore in the UK. And we'd be like, well, another UK tour. Well, if we do this one, we want Veery lights, and we want this. So our money was just going out like you can't believe. <laughs> you know, it's like, and uh, I remember the last meeting with Epic, because believe it or not, we left Epic. You know, we went for a meeting thinking they were going to sack us off. And we went into the room, and it, they said, right, boys, let's do another album. We'll go to LA to make this one. We were, we were like, well, actually, 
Why? Because we've not moved on. And they couldn't believe it. They're all sitting there. I won't name names with all the all the guys on the on that. And we just said, and we owed them one point something million pounds at that time. And they were just ready to go forward with another twelve British tours. You know, they were, they were ready to go with it. You know, and we weren't getting anywhere. We were going to the same places, playing to the same audience, without getting to the states, without getting to Canada, without getting to all these places that we wanted to go to. You know, and it was just the most frustrating time. Yeah, because you're not developing a market. I mean, if you play the same market, you've developed a market, but you need to develop markets with an S. Um, let, exactly. me, let, exactly, let me yeah. let me quickly take you back to, to better better memories because the, the, the record company stuff is just, <laughs> just kills me. Uh, but you've been in a couple of bands with Simon yeah. Kirk, of course, of Bad Company. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the the, the first band, uh, Wildlife. You know, you're, you're signed at some point to Swan Song Records, which is Led Zeppelin's label. You've got Adam Faith that's behind you, great guy. Um, where, where, where did what happened with that band? You got Phil Susan, who who eventually goes off to Ozzy. Uh, talk to me about that band because you had you had a great start. You seem to have all the right players in there. You've got Adam, you've got Swansong, you've got a guy from Bad Company. Talk to me about that yeah. that time. It looked good. Didn't it? it looked great. It did look good again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's the black cloud that follows me around. Yeah, sorry to have a black cloud interview. That's <laughs> not what I'm trying to suggest. But I, I just, I love the music. I love uh, Scandalous. I love Synchronized. I love what you do. And then I look at this stuff and I go, why are they not Def Leppard? They've got it. Look, look, look at all these yeah, facts I have in front of me, you know? But yet you well, have. I mean, wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we formed Wildlife. Simon Badco was still going. They were still a huge band. They'd, they'd done Desolation Angels. They were a huge band when I first met. Simon heard some um, some demos with me and my brother Chris, who was the original guitarist in FM. Um, and he just said, I'm not doing anything with Badco at the moment. And he said to, the, to Peter Grant, who managed Bad Company and Led Zeppelin, I want to meet up with these two guys, these two young guys, and I'd love to because he loved the songs on the demos. So that was put together by, um, actually, by John Kolodner from Geffen. Do you remember? You must know John. Oh, yes. you know, John Kolodner featuring John Kolodner. Yeah. <laughs> Legendary John, you know. Yeah. So they put us together with Simon. We had no bass player at the time. We had a guy called Mickey Fiat who played with us, who was a great bass player. And just as a stand in, really, Mickey wasn't ever going to be a permanent member. So we played, we rehearsed, we did this, and we, we, we got to the point where we needed a bass player. So we auditioned, we got, and Phil was one of the auditions that came down. And Simon liked him, gave him the job, and that's how that started. But with, with regards to what happened with it, Mitch, just to cut to the chase, we did a couple of tours, um, one with the Michael Schenker group, one, one headline tour. And there was a bit of a buzz going around about the band, you know? Um, and then Swan Song Records folded. <laughs> they folded the label. So all of it is labels again, you see. So then it, we were left without a deal. Bad Company then decided they were going to do another world tour. So Simon obviously is going to go back to them. So it, we had a half of a second album written, which was Shot in the Dark, was one of the songs that was um, in the frame for that. And um, that was it. it. It sort of just fell to pieces, the whole thing. And, and Simon drifted off. We talked about carrying on as a band with some other drummers, but he's a tough act to follow, Simon. He's got his own style, and he's he really is a massive part of any band that he's in, sound-wise, you know, with that real backbeat thing. It's hard to find people that can play like that. 
which is why when I wanted to make this Bad Company free record and stripped down record, to me, there was only one drummer that could possibly have played on it. So after not really seeing it for 20 years, I just bobbed an email to his management and thinking, Willie, I'd been to see him at the end and um, in Manchester Arena with Bad Co. And he was playing just off the scale, you know. And so I just I was on tour with FM in Cardiff. I bobbed this email and he got back to me within 15 minutes. He, he emailed me back saying, Steve, great to hear from you, man. What are you doing? What do you want? And, you know, I sent him three demos and he just said, love it. Love it, you know, and that was it. We rekindled our relationship, and we're now on the second Lone Rider record, you know. Yes, okay. So, so when do we see the second Lone Rider record? Um, release date, don't know, Mitch. We're we're mixing it at the moment. Um, but, still with Chris. Uh, I've got to say, sorry. Still with Chris Child. Same band. Same band. Okay. Same band. Same. No change. Exactly the same band. Um, and I loved the first record, and I didn't think, I know everybody says this, but I think we've topped that record easily with this new one. It really is some record. So I'm very, very proud of this one, you know. So I hope you like it when you hear it. I'm sure you will. It's real great songs. We're so pleased with it. And, I, I um, love the first Lone Rider. I mean, I, I remember getting it, and I didn't know who in the band who was in the band. I got Lone Rider, and I went, okay, what's this? And then I read, and I went, oh, okay. And it's just a, a great melodic rock record. I mean, I mean, the, you really seem to have cornered the market on making great sort of melodic rock, which is which is uh, fascinating. Uh, just before we move on and, and get to Lone Rider, Shot in the Dark, of course. When I say, "Oh, it's Shot in the Dark," everybody goes, "Oh, I love that Aussie song. It's so fantastic." And yet, of course, Wildlife, as you quickly mentioned, recorded it, demoed it, etc. And the story is, Phil went left went over to the States, met up with Ozzy and said, hey, I've got this song. So what's your, your version of what happened with Shot in the Dark? And and were you amazed at how popular it became for Ozzy? Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, obviously, um, Phil did that. He took the song over. I, I mean, Ozzy, I, I've had contact with Ozzy and Sharon. They've been great. They've been great, you know, and they understand what's happened with the song now. Um, you know, Ozzy did change the lyric to, to suit him more. The melodies are the same. And, you know, Jakey Lee changed the riff a tiny bit, but just put a few squeaks on it like he does. And, you know, and, um, it's basically, you've heard the, the wildlife version. It's not that different. You know, it is a bit different, but it's not that different. So we kind of, Phil just took it, and, and I didn't know that Ozzy had cut. Do you know what? I was around my mo my mother's house in Norfolk, which is in the countryside in the UK. There used to be a program here called The Tube, right? And one day I was standing in the kitchen making a cup of coffee, and this is the honest truth. I had no idea Ozzy had cut this song, right? And I'm standing in there, and all of a sudden I heard a... And I'm like, I'm standing there with a cup of coffee. I'm thinking, what? And I walked in, and the video was on. Because it was a massive hit in America at the time. I had no idea he'd even cut the song. And so I stood there and watched a song that I'd recorded previously with Ozzy having a massive hit with it. Phil throwing himself around in the background. I just thought, right then, you know, but do you know what? Do you know what, Mitch? I'm not one to like, at that time, I was so into launching FM and we were on the same label as Ozzy, Epic, you know, and 
the last thing I would have wanted to do at that time was jeopardise anything that we had that might have been going on. So I'd kind of just bit the bullet, got on with what I was doing and got on with my life. I didn't, because the last thing I want to do for a start is get in any kind of legal wangle with Ozzy and Sharon, you know, because they're great, but they have been great. I mean, Sharon contacted me and would talk to me about it. And, you know, Ozzy's changed his bit of the song. He rewrote the lyrics. So his 50% of the song is is safe. He did his bit, you know, and um, so it's what it is. It's what it is, Mitch, you know, and you could, there's a lot of people like me in the world where, I could have grabbed onto it, tried to sue Phil, tried to do this. But to be honest, I'm I'm about moving forward, really. You know what I mean? Not about going back and, and stuff, you know. So, And, you know, and by the way, it's the smart move because if, if you do sue, okay, so you get a few shekels. But at the same time, now your name is mud. And so, oh, Ozzy comes and does a tour. Yeah. We're going to have FM open. Oh, no, we're not. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're yeah. now... And, you know that's just the way the business works, and whether you you find it fair or not, that's what it is. yeah, you can't. You can't. You just gotta yeah. go. Okay. Yeah. Have you? It's all about. It's all about. Yeah. You know what you do next. It's what you do next. I don't look back and think. Right, I'm gonna go back and do that. I'm always thinking about what I'm doing next. You know. So that's just the way I am. You know. Um, well, well, all right. So there you go. That's the, I'm that's gonna the ask you quickly story. about looking back because you, FM did look back on indiscreet and did an indiscreet thirty. Right, so so you did you did take yeah. you did take a stab at at the old at the old stuff. Uh, Thirty years after, uh, talk to me just quickly about that album because it comes out. It is considered to be one of your best. It's a fantastic album. Um, what motivated you to look back? I mean, other than the anniversary, which was the thirtieth, did you did you sort of think of the first one and go, "Ooh, sonically we could have been better. Ooh, we could have tightened this up," or is it just like, "Hey, let's just celebrate this"? What, what was sort of the thinking in? revisiting industry <laughs> do, you, do you know what it's uh, i was so against doing it okay i really didn't want to do it i said look you're tampering with something that people are it's the 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 kind of background of people's lives the soundtrack of their lives that album was so iconic to a lot of people it was the start of our career it's, it carried on selling for a long long time for a long period of time and people loved that album i said you're playing with fire here you know they're never going to think it's better than the original because that's what they've been listening to for 30 years. So I was dead against it. So what we did was, how it all came about, we, yes to what you've said, we weren't, we were never happy with the production. We thought it was too small. The demos of the album sounded better than the album. So sonically, never liked it. Thought we'd really messed it up badly from the demos, right? But it was, the fans didn't, and it did well for us. So, you know, we went in and one day we were messing around. We were recording Hero. I can't remember which album it was. Messing around with some songs in the studio. And we started to play that girl just messing around with the drum sound that we had on this album. And the management heard it and they were like, oh, I love that new version of that girl. And I'm like, well, it's not a new version of that girl. They said it is. It sounds amazing. And I said, no, it's just us messing around to playing it how we play it now live, just to have a bit of a play to get the sound up on in the studio. And they loved it, and they just said, you got to do the whole record like that and change. So my main thing was, I, I said, look, I'm, I'm going to sing the vocals differently, change a few licks. It's got to be different to the first record, you know. And um, we did it. It was a punt, and I still, to the day it came out, Mitch, thought, we're going to get hammered for this. We're going to get hammered. They're going to – but we didn't. 
<laughs> so they people had both copies. They liked both copies for their own thing, and it went. It was received really well. So it always just has to show you how wrong I can be many yeah. times over, doesn't it? You yeah, so, and, yeah. And I'm just looking at the uh, discography. We've got Taking It to the Streets '91, Aphrodisiac '92. So I'm looking forward to the 30th anniversary re uh, re-recordings of those one. I kid, I kid. There's going to be no toughing out re-recordings. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just get, let's get quickly get back to to scandalous in terms of the Overland stuff. Uh, it comes out once in a while. There's a show here and there. What what is sort of your plan for this one? Because of course you can't go tour right now. Do, do you do some kind of streaming concert? Do you, how, the question basically is how do you support this new release? I mean, other than doing interviews, you, you can't go down to the local whatever and yeah. play. So what do you do? Yeah. Do you know what, Mitch? That's the thing. I think we'll have to. I'm... You've gone. Oh, you're back. You're back. Now, I yes. think, um, yeah, we're thinking, I mean, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. We, uh, the, the wonderful you Skype or whatever. <laughs> completely blank then for me. Me too. I was like, uh oh. But we're, we're back. <laughs> so let me just re restate the question in case uh, fans got, got thrown off. But uh, Scandalous is coming out. And it's hard to support because you can't go tour. So, so what do you do other than just interviews? I mean, you can't just drop and run. You got to do something. What are we doing? Mm. Well, we're thinking along the lines of streaming stuff. Um, a, a Q and A where I can talk to people about the making of the album, the fans, because I did some of those with that family. They worked great, you know. And we could have done more and more and more and more because gives the fans a chance to get into your home speak to you about the making of the record and get them interested so maybe i'm going to do i'm going to do one of those um and the great thing we've found with um fans during this weird time is they're buying music because it's their way of relaxing through all of this stuff and getting away from it you know and um it doesn't seem to have affected the sales part of it that much but obviously i can't tour so i'm going to have to come up with doing a streaming gig or maybe do it acoustically with a couple of members and do a different version of the songs something will happen and the same thing with all of with with fm we're we've been offered some streaming gigs but we didn't like the way they were going to shoot them and where they were being done we'll do something we, we, we will do some because the longer this goes on we're already working on lots of other things fm about what we're going to do if this carries on to next spring there's this different stuff happening and we're all I'm, I'm with the boys at the end of next week doing something that i can't tell you about you know which will become apparent in the future um and we're we're working at it we really are because we realize as you say if this goes on past next spring you know it's it's last week we last toured last december so you're looking at 14, 15 months without anybody being able to see us play. So um, you can't leave it that long. You've got to keep that thread with the fans, keep them vibed up and interested in what you're doing. So that that may be with different products and different things and putting little things out there and streaming. But we've got ideas on how we're going to promote all of the things that I'm, I'm doing. So they yeah. they will come to fruition. They will come to yeah. fruition, and we're, we're getting to half an hour, so I'll wrap it up, but I just want to go back to uh, Shot in the Dark, not the actual song, but here's a song that you wrote, it, it ends up being recorded by Ozzy. Did you ever think of becoming more of a professional songwriter and just submitting some of the FM songs and some of these great songs that are on these, and just say, hey, you're Ozzy, here Def Leppard, here whoever, 
Uh, was that ever something that you yeah. thought of? Yeah, well, I do a lot of writing for other people anyway, Mitch. I've written, I write quite a lot of other records for people and do mm -hmm. a little bit of production. I mean, I'm down here at the moment in this studio working on a totally different record, like a, a I guess, a vintage soul R&B record with a great guitar player called Tony Remy, who's played with Annie Lennox and Craig David. And always, he's a fantastic player. Um, Jack Bruce, he was Jack Bruce's guitar player for a long time. And... Um, He's a brilliant player, and I work with him in another band called The Stacks Band, which is a 16-piece soul R&B band, which is another totally different thing. I mean, I've got I do so much stuff, man. I, I, it's it's endless. So I'm now working on the fifth track that we've done for an album that we're doing, and it's it's great. I mean, it's real sort of great record. I think it's it's going to be a great record. It's not a rock album. I'll write for young. I'm writing with a couple of young 16-year-old singers r&b singers at the moment um so i do a lot of stuff you know i've just written a lot of country stuff for somebody and it just keeps it interesting you know just coming outside of of doing rock music which my rock career kind of takes care of itself now it just keeps going on and on so all these other things i love to get out of it and delve into other little areas of music that that just keeps it fresh you know it just keeps it fresh well and i'll, really and I'll finish on this one since you mentioned country and big band and all this other stuff when you write a song do you do you just write it sort of one way or do you actually pay attention and say okay this is a country song i need more of a country lyric we need to talk about my pickup truck and my dog and like how do you sort of approach <laughs> right sorry sorry but yeah. how do you sort of approach the songwriting yeah. do, do, do you sort of just hey this is steve and this is what i write and you go do whatever you want or do you say okay i need to figure out this lyric because this is more that style and how how's the approach yeah well you have to do that because country songs as you well know have to have that story element they have to have a real story it's almost like writing a little story at school and you make it into a song and they they kind of have different subject matter you know, and so I, when I first started doing this project, which was a long time ago, and I've gone back to it to work with these people again, um, I studied it. I studied it, Mitch. I listened to all sorts of country music across the board. You know, um, the big band stuff, the lyrics have got to be different again. They're all about, Mommy used to tell me. It's all about, you know, kind of like Stevie Wondery, I wishy kind of lyrics. You have to do that. So each genre... I really work at finding out how the songs are put together and work out how I have to approach it, you know? So it's a different approach for each thing. It really is. And uh, we're at half an hour, and I know you're recording. Uh, I'll remind the folks, Overland Scandalous is coming out uh, later this year. I've had a chance to hear it. It is f fantastic. And, and, of course, if you love FM, you, of course, will love uh, Overland and, and Lone Rider as well. There you go. As we yeah, say in uh, Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mitch. Great to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get to Canada soon. We'll be back. We'll be in Canada soon. We, we've got to make it happen. And, <laughs> and in fact, there's that great melodic rock festival called M3 in Maryland. Uh, yeah. Got to get you there. That would be great. Yeah. I think fans would get a kick out of that. I'll have to make a call. Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> more about it when, when we know what's going to happen again. We need to talk about it. Yeah. Well, okay, here, let me just, do you think 2021 will be a wipeout too in terms of live shows? I mean, I, I'm starting to get a sense that these stadium tours and these big arena tours may not happen. Do you, do you feel, sense that too? Well, 
do you know what, Mitch? I think unless they come up with a vac- vaccine for this thing, it's it's about promoters having the confidence to put the shows on and the people having the confidence to go to them, isn't it? You know, and and, and, and tour insurance get... covering it. You know, the the, the great yeah. hidden secret is that if you don't have tour insurance, you don't have a show. And no, no, and the whole uh, thing with it is, FM do a show. You're looking at two thousand people in in a hall, and you are like this. So right. basically, shoulder that's to shoulder. part of the vibe of the gig. That's part of the vibe of the gig. So if you all have to stand two meters apart and they can only have half the capacity, probably makes it a non-viable show for the promoters. It's going to be tough to pull it all back around. But, it, you know, to, if they get a vaccination for it, obviously it's going to help massively. So fingers crossed, because we need to get back to normal as soon as we can, don't we? You know, we really do. So, you know, let's, let's keep fingers crossed. Let's, Absolutely. You know, the world will change back to how it was. You know, oh, it would be well, maybe not how it was, maybe a better improved yeah. version of how it was. Improved but, version, yeah. but anyway, yeah. Uh, Overland <laughs> Scandalous, folks, if you don't have it, well, you don't because it's not out yet. But when it does, go buy it uh, on that. Merci beaucoup. Yeah. Bye, Mitch. Thanks Cheers. very much. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye.